This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Thank you, and welcome to the show. You know, I'm sure that most of us will remember the day we bought our first car. In my case, I bought a 52 Chevy from my dad, who let me have this uh, piece of marvelous engineering for 200 bucks. But I had to cough up in the insurance uh, for it and arrange proper coverage for the car, which I did. I can still recall very vividly getting behind the wheel for the first time driving solo. I very purposely rolled down the driver's window so I could rest my bicep on the sill. Oh, it looked so much bigger when I glanced at my reflection in the store windows of downtown London. Hmm, I wonder if people on the sidewalk could see that pack of export A's that had been so carefully tucked under the sleeve of my white T-shirt. It's a wonder I didn't get in an accident that very first day because I was so taken with myself. Well, tonight, we'll hear the story of Luigi Basco, who, with only a hundred bucks in his pocket, buys a car that's worth far less than that. We invite you to enjoy life. Life with Luigi, a new comedy show created by Cy Howard and starring that celebrated actor, Mr. J. Carol Nash, with Alan Reed as Pasquale. When Luigi Basco left Italy to start his new life in America, he promised his mother that he would write and tell her about his adventures. So now let's read Luigi's letter as he writes to Mama Basco in Italy. Dear Mamma Mia, America is a land with a very high standard of a living. Everybody saves money so he can buy a refrigerator, a washing machine, a dishwasher, and a vacuum cleaner. Seems like everybody here has got these things. People who can afford it, they buy. People who cannot afford it, they go on a quiz program. <laughs> Another big American thing. Everybody has got a car. They got all kinds of here. There's a sedans, the trailers, the trucks. And Americans are so rich that they even got a car for chickens. That's called a coop. <laughs> A car is a wonderful thing. You remember, Mama, me in the old country during the war, how American boys had taken me for driving as a car? Well, it wasn't exactly a car. It was something like a cement mixer. <laughs> and he's call it a jeep. <laughs> Mama, me, how that car is a shape. Remember once how we go for a ride? Me and Uncle Pietro and his goat. And when we come back, I'm losing my watch. <laughs> Uncle Pietro is a loser's teeth. <laughs> and the goat is a refused to give a milk for three days. 
Since that time, I'm always the one to own my own car. And after one year, I'm going to save $100, and now I'm going to make my dream come true. Of course, with $100, I'm not going to afford the new 1949 car. I'm going to have to be satisfied with a 48. <laughs> but right now is the time for my night school class, so I'm going to go and ask my teacher, Miss Paulding, for advice about the buying a car. <laughs> All right, let's come to attention. I'll call the roll. Mr. Basco? Present. Mr. Howard? Present. Mr. Olson? Present. Mr. Schultz? Absent. <laughs> Mr. Schultz, you're present. Why do you say absent? I just want to create a sensation. <laughs> oh, thank you, fellow boobers. Thank you. All right, Mr. Schultz, you can stop bowing. Now, class, our lesson... Oh, yes, Mr. Basco, what is it? Well, I'm exposing. Today's a big day in my life. And I'm like so much if the crisis has helped me. Oh, certainly, Mr. Basco. What is it? Well, today I'm going to buy my own car. A car? And... Oh, no, it's a big shot. A big shot is an explosion. Class, <laughs> please. Mr. Basco, why don't you wait until after the bell? I'm sure one of your classmates can help you in the selection of a car. Now, class, our lesson for today is spelling. And we are going to study words which contain letters that we don't pronounce. Now, Mr. Basco, will you volunteer to spell the word knife? Knife. K-N-I-F. The E is a silent. Not exactly. Mr. Schultz, will you try? I try, but I don't give a guarantee. <laughs> nice. B. Just a moment, Mr. Schultz. <laughs> there is no B in nice. This is a Boy Scout knife. <laughs> Class, I will spell the word. K-N-I-F-E. K-N-I-F-E. That's Kniffy. <laughs> no, the word is nice. K is the silent letter. K is always silent in front of N. Is that so? What about Knuckle? <laughs> now, will someone in the class give us an example of another word with a silent letter? Oh, yes, Mr. Olsen? Yeah. <clears throat> in the sentence, I gnash my teeth. Nash is spelled G-N-A-S-H, and the G is silent preceding the N. <laughs> oh, what a show-off. If I was so smart, I'd shoot myself. <laughs> please, Mr. Schultz, please. That was excellent, Mr. Olson. Excuse me, Miss Pauling. I'm always know that Nash has a silent motor, but uh, this is silent G is in the 49 model, too. <laughs> now, that's the kind of fellow I like. That's a dumbbell. <laughs> No, no, Mr. Basco. I can see you can't get your mind off cars. Uh, can anyone here tell Mr. Basco where to get a car? Luigi? Uh, how about Louis the lunatic? That's right, Luigi. You go right down to Automobile Row on Dearborn Street. Dearborn Street? Yeah, yeah, but you've got to be careful with these dealers, you know. They are all sharpshooters. On account of them, my brother Ludwig got the best buy in his life. In three years, he's never had a flat, never had to change a spark plug, never uses any oil, no trouble at all. What does he buy? A horse and wagon. <laughs> Mr. Schultz, I'm getting a little tired of your... Oh, that's... Oh, sometimes they act like a lot of little school children. To knock boys. <laughs> Excuse me, mister. 
I'm like to buy a car here. Yes, sir. You've picked the right lot. I got just what you want. Twenty-three hundred, twenty-seven hundred, thirty-five hundred. Anything you like, drive it right out. How much do you want to spend? One hundred dollars. Uh, well, come on over here around the back. We might find something for you. All right. Ah, now there we are. Here is a fine selection of cars around the hundred dollar class. Ah, uh, nice, eh? It looks just like a museum. <laughs> yeah. Well, now let's see. Just what kind of a car do you have in mind? How, how about a convertible, eh? Do you like to drive with the top down? No, I'm always wearing a hat. Uh, well, uh, how about this car here? Do you like it? It's an old. No, that's a too old. <laughs> Hey, mister, did you ever drive a car before? Well, a long time ago in the older country. Oh, I... You see, I'm not the longest from Italy. I see. Well, now, buddy, I got just the car for you. <laughs> yes, sir, here it is, a stunt. Hardly been used in the last 32 years. <laughs> well, look at the dashboard, only 5,000 miles. And I'm the original guy who pushed back the speedometer. It's <laughs> good, huh? Oh, it's sensational. Not like any ordinary car, you know. This car is different. No windshield, no bumpers, no radio, no heater, no spare tire, no fuel pump, no radiator. Just a good, honest set of used parts. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, I'm not so sure that you've got the money. If you've got it, put up or shut up. That's the American way. Well, sure, sure, I got the money here. Well, that's the ticket. One hundred old dollar bills. We've been waiting for you. Here's a bill of sale. Sign right here. You got a driver's license? No, but I can drive. Okay, then drive right down to City Hall. Get a learner's permit. Hop in. That's right. We stand behind every car we sell. Only way we can push him off the lot. Get set. Goodbye. All right. Goodbye. Mama Mia, I'm going to fight. Three, four, to five miles an hour. Hey, Mr. Felderman, look at me. Hello, Mrs. Pellegrino. Hey, Luigi, you got a car. Hey, look at Luigi. He's a millionaire. Hey, look out to Mr. O'Reilly. I'm coming. We got it. It's Luigi in a car. What you do, Luigi? Rob a bank? No, I'm saving my money to buy a car like a real American. Hey, Mr. Indrasano, it's me, Luigi. Luigi. What a My friend, hello, Luigi, hello, hello. Come on, Pasquale, take a look. What do you think? What's happening, Luigi? You got a job in a circus? <laughs> what are you talking about, Pasquale? I was just to buy myself a car. What does it look like? How many guesses do you give me? Are uh, you just saying that because I didn't need any help from you? No help from me, eh? Hey, Luigi, why are you putting those two blocks under the front wheel? That's a new invention, emergency brake. <laughs> But, Squally, I know it's not the best car, but at least it's all the mine. Now I can drive down the street and everybody is to say, Look, Luigi, he's a look like a real American. Yeah, and this is the car you look like a real American, a Buffalo Bill. <laughs> uh, tell me something, Luigi. You got auto insurance? Auto insurance? What's that? Well, it's like a life insurance, oh. so you don't get a pain until the car dies. <laughs> Looking under your car, I'm thinking somebody's already collected. <laughs> Then, I, then I'm going to need the insurance. Oh, but there's insurance you've got to have that's much more important. That's for accidents. There's a single indemnity, that's if you hit a one person. Then there's a double indemnity, that's if you hit a twin. <laughs> but Pasquale, I'm not going to hit anybody. What are you talking about? You've got a car? Use it. 
better prescribe. I'm just spending all of my money on my car. I'm not going to afford this insurance. Oh, Luigi, that's bad. Bad? Terrible. Tell me, little man, you got an operator's license? Father Pasquale, what's for? I'm going to need operator license. I'm not going to work for the phone company. <laughs> I can show how stupid you are. Operator license is a mean when you hit somebody, you got a license to operate on them right away. <laughs> and you ain't got that either. Oh, Pasquale, all I'm got is a learner's permit and a book of rules to study. What am I going to do? I should never have bought a car without asking you advice first. Now, that's the first the smartest thing I've heard since we started talking. <laughs> Luigi, when I'm going to see you look so sad, my heart is melted like a parmesan cheese and a hot spaghetti. <laughs> you know what I'm going to do for you? What, the Pasquale? I'm going to pay for your auto insurance. I'm going to see to it you get your operator license, your driver license. Oh. And instead of this old jalopy, I'm going to buy you a brand new car. Pasquale, you're going to do all of this for me. But why? Because I'm in love with you, you little pumpkin head. <laughs> with eyes are like a two pumpkin seeds and a nose are haggardy like a banana. <laughs> oh, stop it, Pasquale. You're making me blush in the street. And now that I'm going to do you a little favor, maybe you do me a little favor. <laughs> favor? What the favor you want I should do for you? Well, while you're down at City Hall and getting your driver's license and your operator's license, Maybe you go to the next window and get a one or more license. Well, sure, Pasquale. What the kind of license you want I should get? Marriage license for my daughter, Rosa. <laughs> no, Pasquale, I'm not going to marry Rosa. She's a too fat for me. Luigi, it's a no fair to call a girl a fat just because she's happened to weigh 240 pounds. Too fat. <laughs> what do you say? I say too fat. I say 240. She's a no have a supper yet. <laughs> and Luigi, do me a favor. Just marry Rosa for a little while. You'd be surprised how my little flower she's going to grow out of you. Pasquale, I'm a no flower pastor. <laughs> All right, you big stupid. And now I'm going to tell you something. They're never going to give you a driver license without all the wreck you bought. No? No, you're lucky if you stay out of jail. Jail? Sure. When you start driving through the streets like a crazy man, chasing the people down the cellars and up the roofs to running for their lives, you know what it's going to say in a newspaper headline? What? Chicago's a hit to buy a new Alamo bar. <laughs> Mama me, I'm just start out to buy a car, and now I'm lucky if America doesn't declare a war on me. And now for the second act of Luigi Vasco's adventures in Chicago, we turn to page two of his letter to his mother in Italy. Come on, Mamma Although I'm realizing my big ambition to own a car like a real American, I'm afraid it's going to bring me a lot of trouble. Pasquale is saying my car is a look so terrible, I'm never going to get driver's license, so I'm going to try to fix it up. I'm going to shine up with the car nice and clean with the two cans of his shoe polish. Also, I'm going to put a wallpaper on the inside. <laughs> and to make it a car look more expensive, I'm going to paint a spare tire on the back. <laughs> but still, I'm having a lot of trouble with a car. Three times a day, the street cleaning department has tried to take it away. <laughs> Biggest trouble I'm having is reading the rule book and trying to learn the traffic rules for my driving test. Mamma mia, what's the rules? 
Put a hand out to for left to turn. A hand out to for right to turn. Hand out to for a stop. A hand out to for a go. Mama made this. The book must be for a man with a four hand. <laughs> so I'm sitting here studying when it suddenly has opened up from my door. Luigi, my friend, I was just passing by and I had to stop in. I just saw your car outside and I congratulate you on making such a wonderful deal. Oh, thank you, sure. <laughs> How much did the man pay you for taking it off his lot? <laughs> For a short time, I spent my life down on a bad car, and I'm gonna go today for a drive and a test. I'm not gonna understand the rules, and all that's left for me is to marry Pasquale's daughter, Rosie. If you was in my place, what would you do? Himmel, would I let out a scream? <laughs> well, Luigi, I really got to go now. Now, come on, Luigi, be like me, always happy. Smile, smile. <laughs> my rheumatism is killing <laughs> Mamma mia, another hour I gotta take my driving test. Well, I better look in this traffic rule book and study some more rules. To make the left hand turn, turn into the lane to the right of the center, turning into the roadway. <laughs> but to do not turn. <laughs> Mamma mia, I'm think I'm gonna lost at the last turn. <laughs> well, I read it some more. To make the left into Hello, Luigi, my little friend and my countryman. What's new with you? Huh? Pasquale, ain't you mad at me no more? Me? I'm mad at you? Why, Luigi, shame on you. You should have known me better than that. You know, there's two sides to my face. If one side is mad out of you, the other side is glad out of you. You know that. You're so right, Pasquale. That's why everybody is calling you two face. <laughs> It's a funny thing, and when I'm saying it, it come out different. <laughs> hey, Luigi, what's that the pamphlet you're reading? Hold up, Pasquale. I gotta go for drivers a test in an hour, and I'm studying the rules so I should have passed. Luigi, I'm gonna help you out. Nobody's gonna know more about a driver's a test than me. I'm gonna take it a ten times. <laughs> then maybe you can tell me, Pasquale. All through this book is this word. Vector. V-E-H-I-C-L-E. Ooh, Luigi, you lucky you've got me to explain to you. That's a vehicle. That's a mean a car, what's a drunk. That's, a, that's a what they call auto intoxication. There's a lot I can teach you. Now, see you driving a car, you hit a man inside his home. What's this to call? What? Home inside. <laughs> Big punishment is to go for that. Very big. They stamp on your license. Must wear glasses. Oh, Pasquale, thank you. Maybe now I have a chance to pass. Tell me, what do you mean by zone? That's a simple. Driving a car is like a game. It's a three kind of zones. T-zone, free zone, and an end zone. <laughs> if you hit a man in the T-zone, he's not going to smoke no more. <laughs> 
after you hit him in the end zone, they push your car back to five yards. What's for the free zone? That's the meaning you can park for nothing. <laughs> now take the traffic light. There's a green light, that's for go. There's a red light, that's for stop. What's for the yellow light for? That's for women to drive. They can do whatever they want. <laughs> Pasquale, thanks so much for your help. Don't mention it. Luigi, you just give these answers like I'm going to tell you, and you're going to be fixed up for good. Next applicant. Pardon me, mister. You've been waiting here for two hours. What are you waiting for? Well, you've been calling for people who's the one to applicant. I'm waiting till you call the people who want the driver's license. Oh, I see. Well, take your learned permit to booth seven over there, and the inspector will give you your test. Thank you very much. Booth seven. Oh, there it is. Mamma mia, how am I going to drive my car in that little boot? <laughs> oh, excuse me, mister. Uh, have a seat. You got your call out there? Yes. All right, now I'll ask you a few routine questions. First, uh, explain your hand signals. Sure. To make a signal, you got to stick out to your left hand. First, you got to let the window down. <laughs> left hand is a singular right to turn, left to turn, and a pass. That's the way of the palm down. It's palm down. When do you stick your hand out with the palm up? Only when you want to see if it's a rainer. <laughs> Are you sure you can drive a car? Sure, I'm sure. Well, let's go on outside for the road test. All right. Hi there. There's my car. Over there. Is that your car? Uh-huh. I think we have a law covering that. <laughs> Let me look in my book under the sea. Condemned. <laughs> hmm. They must have overlooked this model. Well, let's get in. Uh, does this car always sag like this? Oh, no. Only when a people is a sit in it. <laughs> okay, start it up. Choke it, choke it. Choke it to where am I going to grab it? <laughs> pull the choke out there. Oh. All oh, right, it's out. Now, where should I put it? <laughs> oh, brother. Step on the gas. The cars are gone. You see it works. If it's too windy for you, I'm going to stop and put in the windshield. Never mind. This is like going through D-Day again. Yeah, all right, there's a sign. It says no U-turn. What does that mean? Well, that's the simple. It says no U-turn. That's to mean it's a my turn. <laughs> look. Look, there's a stop sign. You want I should have stopped? I dare you. <laughs> of course, stop. Stop right on the corner of First Street. All right. <laughs> I said First Street, not Second Street. <laughs> well, I was a close. <laughs> Is it not so good, huh? Well, watch me on a signal. Didn't you see that car behind you? Where's your rear vision mirror? What the fuck? I need the rear mirror. 
If I'm going to want to see who's behind me, I'm going to look back like it. Hey, look out! Look out! Mamma mia, the car is a stop and the inspector is to keep on going. <laughs> Oh, the test is over. You ride back, I'll walk. But <laughs> the why? I'm happy to drive you back into my car. What are you, a sadist? <laughs> it's a nice day. The sun is shining. I got a wife and four kids. I'll walk. Well, all right, so you walk. I'm a driver. When you get there, wait for me. <laughs> Too bad, and he was doing so well. <laughs> Luigi, my friend. Hello, Lu Luigi, what are you doing with that steering wheel in your hand? But Squatter, I'm just affecting my driver's test. Luigi, look at you. Hair is all a mussed up, the clothes are dirty and a torn, face all a banged up, you walking with a limp. You don't look like a driver. You look like a pedestrian. <laughs> What's happened? It's all mixed up. All I know is when I was driving back to the license of and myself, a car is a come after me. I'm a signal for a stop. I'm a put out the boat in my hand. But it's a big crash. <laughs> oh, Luigi. It is all my fault. I put my left hand out of the left window. But to my right hand, it wasn't long enough to reach the other window. Neither <laughs> you get your driver's license. But, well, and not only am I not to get my license, but they take away my learner's permit. They say I'm a no can drive for at least one year. And I'm not allowed to walk in the streets for two days. <laughs> oh, Luigi, Luigi, how could one man get himself into so much trouble? Believe me, Pasquale, it's not easy. <laughs> what am I going to do? Man who's kind of ahead is to say he's going to sue me for everything I'm got. Worse than that, Luigi. Man has probably got a 20 years of life in insurance. That means he can get you 20 years of the life. <laughs> Mama mia, Pasquale, save me, please. Luigi, don't beg. I'm going to help you out of everything. I'm even going to buy you a new car so you still can be proud like an American. Just to do me one favor. <laughs> All right, Pasquale. I'll marry your daughter. Well, say it like you mean it. Go ahead. She's awake. Now call her yourself. All right. Rosa. Rosa. Put some feeling in it. Rosa. Yes, my little angel. You love us. Call her yourself. Rosa, say hello to Luigi. <laughs> Hello, Rosa. <laughs> Rosa, poor little Luigi was just in a terrible auto accident. What do you say to him? <laughs> Luigi, you want a band-aid? Shut up your face! <laughs> well, my children, I'm going to give you my blessing, and we're going to tell everybody... Oh, Mr. I'm so glad I found you in. Mama, may I ask the man who's a car I'm a hit? I'm going to fix everything, mister. Oh, are you his attorney? Well, look, I admit everything. It was all my fault. I'm... I'm willing to make amends. But I had no right to be driving that car. I had no driver's license, no permits, nothing. But, sir... Uh, this has taught me a terrible lesson. Mr. Basco, I'm prepared to pay for my mistake if you promise not to press suit. I'm not to press suit. Oh. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm always a senator to the tailor. 
Bart! Now, Mr. Batchel, let's settle this whole thing right here. I'm willing to pay you whatever that car is worth, say, uh, uh, $500. Oh, no. $1,000? No, no, no. Okay, you've got me against the wall. How much do you want for the car? $100. Well, here, take it, and thank you very much. Wait, they're not so fast as something else. What's the matter? Were you hurt? I got a hold of my pencil from the accident. They're going to cost you 40 cents for the patch. <laughs> here, and thank you. And good night. But, uh, well, Pasquale, thank you for teaching me about the traffic rules. You're a system. But, uh, Luigi, what a fall you sticking out of your hand now? I'm making a right to turn the back to my store. But what about a rose, a butt to Luigi? Good to buy a butt. Be sure to listen next week at this time over most of these stations when Luigi Basco writes another letter to his mama Basco describing his adventures in America. Life with Luigi is a Cy Howard production that is written by Mac Benoff and Lou Demon and directed by Mac Benoff. J. Carol Nash is starred as Luigi Basco with Alan Reed as Pasquale. Bob Conry, the Schultz, and Mary Ship as Miss Baldwin. Music is under the direction of Lynn Murray. Stay tuned for Escape next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Escape and the story of a man on a speeding train in England fully aware that further down the track, men are planning to destroy the train in order to kill him. Fed up with the everyday grind. Tired out by the dull routine. Want to get away from it all? We offer you... Escape! Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You are speeding through the English countryside. The fast express train rocking beneath your feet. And you know that somewhere in the dark ahead of you, a band of men are plotting the destruction of the train, are planning the moment of your death. Today we escape to England at the turn of the century and the story of a complete train that vanished from the face of the earth. As Sir Arthur Conan Doyle told it in his fascinating tale, The Lost Special. Twenty years with Scotland Yard have brought me into contact with many weird and unusual events in human affairs. But none more strange than the occurrences which began on the afternoon of June the 3rd, 1890 in the railway station at Liverpool. On no case before had I ever felt myself so helpless, groping blindly, as it were, for an unseen adversary, not being certain of the nature of the crime, not even knowing, in fact, if it were a crime. Suffice to say that along a short stretch of railway line in western England, I learned what is truly meant by terror of the unknown. At four o'clock of the afternoon in question, having completed a rather minor investigation which had brought me to Liverpool, I was sitting in the waiting room of the railway station reading and waiting for the six o'clock train for London, entirely unaware at that moment of a rather ordinary conversation that was taking place in the office of Mr. James Bland, the station master, a few yards away. I'm very happy to know you, Mr. Carrefour, and you, Mr. Gomez. And now, if I might learn the nature of your wishes? Simply this, Mr. Bland. 
my companion and I have arrived on the steamer from Central America, which docked less than an hour ago. It is of the utmost importance that we reach London as quickly as possible in order to arrange passage across the channel to France. I see. Well, it's unfortunate you missed the three o'clock train, Mr. Carrasco. However, there'll be a limited leaving at six. It'll put you in London. That is not soon enough, Mr. Bland. I cannot stress too highly the importance of my reaching Paris at the earliest possible moment. I can understand that. But there simply isn't any other train in Quite so. Quite so. I am informed, however, that it is possible to charter a special train upon occasion. A special? Yes, it's possible. Rather expensive, though. The cost is not important, Mr. Blythe. How soon can the arrangements be made? Well, uh, uh, Mr. Hood, do we have an engine available? Yes, sir. Number 247 is on the north siding under emergency steam. Good. Very well, Mr. Carrasil, it's 4.08 now. We can roll a special out of here at 4.30. The charge is 55 pounds. Gomez, you will pay Mr. Bland 55 pounds. Uh, who is on the standby crew, Mr. Hood? Let's see, uh, John Slater is engineer, McPherson guard, Smith fireman. Call them at once. Have them carry two standard coaches behind the engine and telegraph the station master at St. Helens to hold the local on siding there until the special goes through. Make sure the line is clear as far as Manchester. Yes, sir. I'll send for a porter to take care of your briefcase, Mr. Carrasil. Seems to be rather heavy. Thank you, no. I prefer to keep it with me, if you don't mind. Certainly, whatever you wish. Now, if you leave here at 4.30, you should be in Manchester at quarter to six. The station master there will clear you on to London. And I trust you have a very pleasant journey. As I say, I was not aware of these events until a while later. I would have placed no significance on them in any case. At 4.31, the special train with its two passengers and three crew members pulled out of Liverpool Station and headed to Manchester. And at ten minutes to six, I was summoned to the office of Mr. James Bland, the station master. And so that seems to be it. Very likely I have no real reason at all to be worried, in fact, Colin. But since I saw you below there in the station, I thought it wise call you in on it. Oh, I'm happy to be of any help, Mr. Bland. Uh, as, as I understand it, your special train is running behind schedule, isn't it? Incredibly behind schedule. Mm-hmm. Nearly half an hour overdue at Manchester right now. We've wired them to check and report back. Well, it isn't exactly unheard of for a train to run slow, Mr. Bland. It is, unless there's some reason, and I can't think of one in this case. The special had clear track all the way. It passed through St. Helens at 4.52, right on time. They wired us, and then 15 minutes later released the local to follow along behind it into Manchester. Uh, you mentioned something about Mr. Carrasol having a companion, I believe. Huh? Yes, a great hulking brute named Gomez. He didn't utter a word while they were here. Seemed to be a sort of bodyguard. Carrasol himself was small and stooped with a swarthy complexion, possibly a Latin American. Uh, and you got the impression that he was carrying something rather valuable in his briefcase. Hmm? Yes, he wouldn't let it out of his hands. And he seemed to be in great fear of something, though I haven't any idea what it may have been. Uh, what about this second chap, Horace Moore? Uh, English, about 40 years old, seemed very anxious to reach his sick wife in London. Oh. Here's Manchester on the wire now, Mr. Bland. Oh, well, good. What are they, uh... Well, it's the moment. Uh, well, here's a message. Assume change in your original plan. Local from St. Helens arrived, Manchester... Reports no sign special train. Oh, but that's impossible. St. Helens reported the special through ahead of the local. Where's there a branch line between St. Helens and Manchester, Mr. Bland? No, not even a double track. There's only a single track main line straight through. Sidings, of course, at the local stations for loading purposes. But, uh, Mr. Hood... Yes, sir? Check every local operator from St. Helens on. We've got to get to the bottom of this. 
I can't understand it, Inspector Collins. A locomotive in two coaches can't simply... Well, it's utterly impossible. It, it can't have just disappeared. In a few moments, the answers began coming in over the wire. The first was from St. Helens. Repeating our previous message, a special train passed here 4.52, local departed 15 minutes later. Then from Collins Green. Special passed here at 5 o'clock, followed by local train 17 minutes later. And then Earth time. Special passed here 5.06, followed by local 18 minutes later. Newton. Special passed here 5.12, local train 17 minutes later. At Kenyon Junction. Special through here at 5.20, local passed 19 minutes later. And then Parton Moss. Local through 5.53. No special train passed here today. I tell you, it's absolutely unprecedented, Inspector Collins. An entire train and five human beings vanishing from an open track between two local stations only eight miles apart. It's impossible. Uh, the only thing to the contrary being the fact that it has apparently happened. But I can't understand it. Mr. Bland, I think you'd better make arrangements to get us out to Kenyon Junction as quickly as possible. Within ten minutes, we were in a coach behind a goods engine moving at full throttle on the main line east out of Liverpool. Since the missing special had been reported safely through Kenyon Junction... There was no need for concern with the country this side of that station. While the coach rattled and banged along the miles, we spent the time poring over a large-scale map of that eight-mile stretch between the junction and Barton Moss. As you can see for yourself on the map, Inspector Collins, it's rather open country through there. Yes. Low rolling hills, mostly, with quite a lot of coal mining and one steel mill. Uh-huh. No towns or villages near the railway line. Yes, so I see, Mr. Blanders. What about these spur tracks that join the main line? There must be a dozen or more of them. Fourteen, to be exact. Uh, isn't it possible a special could have been switched onto one of those spurs? Well, yes and no. Eight of them can be eliminated immediately. Besides being narrow-gauge tracks, they're also much too flimsy to bear the weight of a standard locomotive. Furthermore, they end at loading bins adjacent to the main line. They're, they're not actually connected to it. I see. Well, that still leaves six. Are they all standard gauge? Yes, but three of those six can be eliminated, too, since they've been abandoned for years. The mines they were built for are no longer operating. The Red Gauntlet, Despond, and Hartsey's collieries. Yes, but abandoned or not, if the tracks are still there, couldn't they be used? No, no, they could not. When service to the three mines was discontinued years ago, the switches along the several hundred yards of track adjacent to the main line were removed to prevent accidents. And that's settled that. But we still have three lines left. Yes, and all in operation. They serve the Big Ben and Perseverance collieries and the Khan Sark Ironworks. Good. That there is the probable area of our investigation. Probable? Inspector, I fail to see anything probable about a train scheduled from Manchester turning up in a dead-end hiding. Well, for many years now, Mr. Bland, I've been approaching problems of this sort with a certain theory of logic. Once both the obvious and the impossible are eliminated, and we seem to agree on those, then the solution must lie in the realm of the improbable, no matter how fantastic it may at first seem. I can't believe it. Why wouldn't the train crew report here? What about Mr. Carroll's anxiety to get to London? Why wouldn't hey, wait, he... Wait, wait. We're slowing down, aren't we? That's right, sir. We're pulling into Kenyon Junction. Uh-huh. This is the last station to report seeing the last special. Very well, gentlemen. This is where we start to work. We stopped in the junction only long enough to rig acetylene spot lanterns at either side of the coach 
directed in such fashion as to light up the roadbed and embankment along both sides of the track. And then we puffed slowly out onto the main line and headed towards Barton Moth, eight miles away. The first mile of those eight dropped behind us and brought no significant discovery. And we moved on through the second mile. Save for the flood of light from our lanterns and the dull red glow from the firebox of the engine, the night was as black as pitch. Now and again, the ugly shape of a loading bin for one of the narrow-gauge feeder lines would loom out of the darkness ahead of us and float past, ghostly for a moment in our light, and then dissolve away behind us into the blackness. But on the roadbed, the rails themselves remained unmarred undisturbed, and offered not the slightest clue to explain a disappearance that grew more mysterious by the minute. We completed the second mile and moved on, and then suddenly... What is it, Inspector? What do you see? Uh, stop the engine at once, Mr. Hood. Yes, sir. What is it, Inspector? I think I've seen something. I don't see a thing. Oh, just off the embankment there, near to the bushes. Uh, we'll need a hand light. Uh, here you are, sir. Good. All right, come on now. Let's have a look. By heaven, there, there is something lighter now. Uh, I, I see now. Well, it looks like a man lying there. Oh, it's more likely the body of a man from the position he's in. Well, now, lad. Oh, and let's turn you over and have a glimpse at your face, huh? What? Inspector. Uh, this is John Slater. Huh? And who is John Slater? He was the engineer on the special. Oh. Well, he's dead. Neck broken. Dead? I'll venture a quick guess it was caused by a fall from the cab of his engine. Traveling rather fast at the time, I'd say. You can see where he rolled through the bushes for some little distance there. Hmm? Yeah, but, but then, uh, what happened to the locomotive, Inspector? Uh, afterward, I mean. Well, that still remains to be seen, Mr. Hood. I can be fairly certain of one thing, though. A special must have come at least this far out of the junction. Otherwise, it's pretty difficult to account for the engineer's body being here. No more difficult, surely, than it is to account for any of this. This whole thing is incredible. Impossible. Well, we still have our improbabilities, Mr. Bland. Those three connected spur lines are ahead of us yet. And the chances are, one of them is going to supply some kind of an answer. By midnight, I'd completed a thorough check of the three lines. The first one, with the Big Ben colliery, ran a mile and a half back into the hills and ended against the face of a huge pile of coal. Not large enough, however, to cover a locomotive and two coaches. I made certain of that. The line to the Perseverance colliery was hardly more than a half mile long. It had been blocked all day, and it was still blocked by a string of loaded ore cars, and ended beyond them against the open rock face of a quarry. But the last line, running to the Comstock Ironworks, was a double track, and had been left open all day. However, a sleepy superintendent informed me that over 200 repairmen had been busy on the roadbed until well after dusk, and it was impossible to imagine a non-scheduled train passing through such a horde of witnesses unnoticed. Oh, shortly after midnight, dog-tired, we walked into Barton Moss Station, still without the slightest explanation of the mystery. I want to send the wire through at Scotland Yard. Scotland Yard? Yes, sir. Yeah. I'm prepared to postpone further investigation. Investigation? Until daylight. Yes, sir. No, sign it, Collins. Uh, can you get that off right away? Right away, sir. <clears throat> Peaceful English countryside and a dead engine driver. You're speaking to me, sir? Hmm? Yeah, no, no. It is strange, though. Strange, sir? In broad daylight, 
a 40-ton locomotive with two carriages and four passengers, has vanished from the face of the earth. In just a moment, we will return to Escape. But first, ten great shows come to you every Sunday night on CBS, and right and bright in the middle is America's number one comedy, The Jack Benny Show. Tomorrow night, Jack will take his place on CBS All-Star Night with a cast that's made the Jack Benny Show a welcome visitor in millions of American homes. Yes, Jack Benny, Amos and Andy, Helen Hayes, Eve Arden, and all the other great stars come to you over most of these same stations in CBS's ten great shows on Sunday night. And now, with our star, Ben Wright, we return to the second act of Escape and The Lost Special. By the next morning, of course, the story was out and the daily papers went to work on it. But fortunately for Scotland Yard, the main attention of the press was directed at the moment toward the international scandal, which had been brewing for a week or two among high financial circles in France. As it was, however, letters to the editor in the morning post gave us quite a rough go of it. Oh, with all manner of crack It seems suggest- difficult to believe that the worthy operators of Scotland Yard have overlooked the one obvious explanation as to the whereabouts of the missing train. May I advise them that some two miles from Barton Moss, the railroad line crosses the West Branch Canal. Unquestionably, the special leapt from the bridge and lies now in the muddy water. This whole affair is obviously the work of some subversive organization. And until the culprits are brought in to face their just deserts, no man, woman, or child in England can be considered safe. Now, surely we are witnessing the fulfillment of ancient prophecies. The forces of evil grow bolder and begin now to invade the earth openly. There is no doubt. But what that strange man Keratol was really the devil in disguise. And it is Our first time. action this morning is to gaze quickly across the city toward Westminster Abbey. Considering the recently demonstrated inefficiency of Scotland Yard and the Manchester-Liverpool railway affair, it's quite possible the Abbey may be spirited away some night soon. A week passed, and then two weeks. We scoured the whole western countryside, following up every lead, tracking down each rumor... And we got nowhere. Three weeks, four, and then the press began to ignore the matter. Two months went by. Nothing new. Three months. And the activity of Scotland Yard in the matter had come to a standstill. The reason was simple enough. We had no idea what else to do. So the records were finally taken from the active file and marked, Case still open and unsolved. Even though I worked on other assignments, my mind kept turning continually back to the case of the lost special. I tried to think of some avenue left untried, some path overlooked, and I could think of nothing. I reviewed all of the improbabilities I'd tested and disproved, and I tried to... Improbabilities. Suddenly, a fallacy in my own logic began to dawn on me. Arbitrarily, I had called certain explanations impossible and touched them only lightly in my investigation. And yet, what could really be classed as impossible in a case which itself was utterly impossible? Back down to Barton Moss again. And then ten days of painstaking work. At the end of those ten days, I was certain that I'd found at least the essentials of the answer. 
And I was equally certain that I could never prove it. I could see only one bare chance. A desperate chance against long odds. I laid my plan before the chief inspector. And then Scotland Yard went into action. The London Times, 21st November, 1890. Rumors are circulating that a man named Dalton, arriving in Liverpool on the steamer Vistula tomorrow, may hold the key to the long-standing Manchester Railway mystery. According to reliable sources, Mr. Dalton possesses recently discovered copies of the documents which were carried in the briefcase of the ill-fated Mr. Carradol. It is further stated that Scotland Yard is arranging to meet Mr. Dalton at the Liverpool Pier and rush him forthwith to London. The next afternoon, accompanied by Mr. Dalton, I walked into the office of Mr. James Bland, station master at Liverpool, and chartered a special train for London. We shall have the train ready for you to leave in ten minutes, Inspector Collins. Uh, good. I'm most anxious to get Mr. Dalton and his briefcase to London as quickly as possible. Yes, I saw the squib in yesterday's paper, and I was afraid then you'd be wanting a special train arranged. I'm still worried about it, as a matter of fact. Oh, I hardly think there's any need to be. You've run a good many specials up to Manchester since that affair six months ago, and you've uh, never lost another one, now, have you? No, but I'll confess I've shaken in my boots every time I've watched one of them pull out of here. I say now... You're going to have me jumping at my own shadow. Oh, oh, don't worry, Mr. Dalton. I'll have you in London before you know it. And on the worst for the trip. Nevertheless, Inspector, you have to admit the situation today is very much like the one six months ago. Oh, yes, in some ways. The mysterious stranger arriving by steamer from South America and in urgent haste to reach London. The carefully washed briefcase, which, according to rumor, contains the very same sort of material Mr. Carroll was carrying. But there is one difference. Mr. Dalton is being accompanied by an agent from Scotland Yard. Yes, but Mr. Carradle also had a guard, that chap Gomez, and both of them disappeared. Oh, come now. Surely you don't think that anything so fantastic could possibly... Oh, no, he's right, Mr. Dalton. It did happen once, and a number of the elements are similar. Well, Mr. Bland, I'll, I'll wire you as soon as we reach Manchester. Hardly necessary, Inspector. I, uh, I think I shall go along with you. What good? But if you're looking forward to excitement, I can't promise it. No, it will probably be a very ordinary trip. But if I stayed here, I'd be a nervous wreck by the time you reached Manchester. Well, then come along by all means. Mr. Dalton and I will enjoy your company. Your train has just pulled up the platform, gentlemen. Good. Well, gentlemen, we, uh, we can't keep the fates waiting, huh? Let's get aboard. Well... Certainly been an uneventful journey so far. Why well, hardly expected anything to happen this side of Kenyon Junction. And it's right ahead of us, then. Inspector Collins, do you mean you are expecting something to happen on the other side of it? Oh, yes. Yes, that's the whole purpose of the trip. I don't believe I follow you. Yes, I, I imagine it is about time that you were brought in on this, Mr. Bland. I, I didn't want to take any chances by discussing it before we were well along towards the... Um, a danger area. We're passing through Canyon Junction, Inspector. Good. Uh, oh, uh, Mr. Dalton there is a Scotland Yard agent, by the way, Mr. Blair. Oh? And all he's carrying in that mysterious briefcase is a uh, half dozen ham sandwiches. I, uh, I think I should welcome some sort of explanation, Inspector Collins. Yes, uh, do you ever hear of the old trick an archer uses when he loses an arrow? He shoots another in the same general direction, follows it, and sometimes he finds both of them. Well, this train and all of us aboard it constitutes the second arrow, Mr. Bland. Do you mean you're expecting this train to vanish like the other? 
Why, you're deliberately risking our lives. Oh, the risk is not quite so great as you may imagine. But what makes you believe the attempt will be repeated? I've created as nearly as possible the same set of conditions that led to the first disappearance. If I'm right about the motivation, the party's concerned can hardly afford not to repeat. What motivation? I fail to see one. Well, it requires a bit of assuming, Mr. Bland, but the assumptions seem to fit the facts as well as the method used. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's take some of those facts. Mr. Carator was in a frantic hurry to reach Paris. His briefcase apparently contained something of great value. He was afraid an attempt would be made to prevent his reaching Paris. Yes. In Paris at that time, a huge financial scandal was brewing, which later came to nothing because of lack of evidence. The scandal involved illegal land operations in Central America. And Mr. Caratol had just arrived from Central America with his briefcase. Even so, yeah, And I... finally, it must require a good deal of money to bring about the disappearance of a locomotive and coaches, whereas ordinary criminals rarely have a good deal of money. Now, do you follow me? Yes. Yes, of course. If all that's true, then the idea was to eliminate Caratol completely, along with his evidence. And that's exactly what was done. Inspector! We just passed the spot where John Slater's body was found. Well, then heads up, Mr. Dalton. It's only a few hundred yards now. Tell me this, Inspector. Have you also discovered how the thing was done? Oh, yes. But I'm in the unfortunate position of not being able to prove it. And what do you think it's going to prove if the same thing happens to us? Oh, that. Well, I forgot to mention that there are 20 agents of Scotland Yard concealed in the coach behind us. They're specially selected, armed with rifles, and are there for the express purpose of making sure the same thing does not happen to us. Slowing down, Inspector Collins. Well, I think this is it. Slowing down? Why? We're leaving the main line. But we can't leave the main line. There's no siding here. Oh, yes, there is. There's a spur track to the Hartsby's colliery. But it's abandoned. There's no connection to the main line. The rails were taken away years ago. Ordinarily, you'd be right, Mr. Bland, but at the moment, there's an excellent switch installed at the main line, and also a very serviceable set of rails connecting it with the old track. We're traveling over them now, as a matter of fact. Have you seen anything, Mr. Dawson? Not yet, sir. The train is being manned, incidentally, by Scotland Yard agents. I took the liberty of holding the regular crew in the coach behind us until we could find out which of them has been bought off, which is scheduled to end up like John Slater. Look, men are coming out of the bushes behind us. They're already starting to pull up the rail. You'll see, Mr. Bland. In 15 minutes, you'll be right again. There'll be no connection between the hard seas siding and the main line. Yes. Yes, I see now. By heaven, I never Mr. would have... Mr. Bland, it won't do any good to try to signal with that pocket handkerchief. I'm, uh... <laughs> I'm afraid I don't quite understand you, Inspector. Then perhaps you'll understand the fact that you're under arrest for the murder of Caratol, Gomez, and John Slater. Why that utterly ridiculous? Why I... Why are we stopped? In order to permit it... There's your answer. I think that 20 agents of Scotland Yard should prove more than a match for your assistance. Your guesses are nothing less than preposterous, Inspector. What could I or anyone else gain by merely switching a train onto an abandoned siding? The other special, if you recall, disappeared. Ah, yes. Yes, so it did. And straight ahead of us, a mile and a half, if you recall, Mr. Bland, this spur ends at the Hartsey's Mine Shaft, one of the largest inclined shafts in this part of the country. According to the records, it used to be 900 feet deep. But upon investigating it last week, I found it closed off by a tremendous cave-in at 400 feet. Now, tell me, Mr. Bland, was the cave-in caused by the explosion of the locomotive's boiler when it struck the bottom? Or did you dynamite the shaft after the train went into it? You've no proof of any of this and no evidence whatsoever against me. Your train crew in the coach behind us have all signed statements. 
And I think we'll get a good deal more evidence from the men who are being rounded up out there now. I... I have nothing further to say. Oh, there's nothing you can say, Mr. Bland. We've seen your bank accounts with those mysterious and heavy entries which are dated about the time the special disappeared, which I'm sure we shall be able to trace to certain French sources. We've succeeded in tracing down McPherson and Smith, a fireman and conductor you bribed to vanish. Too bad you couldn't bribe Slater, the engineer, because his death was most unfortunate. You see, his body furnished us with our first clue. Yes, Mr. Bland. Without Slater's body, we might really have thought that the lost special had disappeared into thin air. Escape is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Today we have presented The Lost Special by Conan Doyle. Adapted for radio by Les Crutchfield with editorial supervision by John Dunkel. Starred as Inspector Collins was Ben Wright. And the featured players were Parley Bear, John Daner, Edgar Berrier, Larry Dobkin, and Paul Fries. The special music was arranged and played by Ivan Dittmars. Next week... You're aboard the Orient Express. Rushing through the European night bound for Constantinople. And in your compartment with you, a gun pointed at your head. A small, mysterious foreigner is about to take your life. Next week, we escape with Graham Greene's exciting novel of intrigue, Orient Express. Goodbye, then, until this same time next week, when CBS again offers you Escape! Adventures, seek it out with two top CBS shows tonight. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe and Gangbusters, both regular Saturday features on most of the same CBS network stations. Be sure to hear them tonight. Now, stay tuned for five minutes of the latest news to be followed by the Let's Pretend program over most of these same CBS stations. <laughs> CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thanks for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Great Gildersleeve, followed by Nick Carter, Master Detective. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.